If you have that passage open in front of you there, John 12, page 1079. Let's pray and ask God to come and speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you're the one who speaks to us, who tells us who you are, who we are, and all that you have done to draw us into a a deep and loving relationship with you. Lord, we know the premium that your word places on listening. And we pray you'd give us ears, but also hearts that are tuned to your voice this morning. Amen. I was chatting to somebody recently, and he made an interesting observation about the preaching in his church. He said that no matter how long a passage you read, whether it was one verse or uh, whether the, the passage was three or four chapters, the sermon always dropped out at exactly 25 minutes. And I had to laugh because I know uh, that uh, I'd be very prone to that. This morning, I'm going to try and go off, off paste a bit and come in at under 25 minutes. So start your stopwatch around about now and tell me later how I do. We have an AGM to come after the service, so we're going to try and finish a little bit more promptly this morning. We've noticed a couple of times recently in John's Gospel that Jesus' days appear to be numbered. There are a growing number of references to the people who are out to kill him. And although we're only halfway through the text of John's Gospel, chapter 12 of 21, there are only a few days left before Jesus will be crucified. John is slowing the account way, way down. It's like he wants us to see things in slow motion, to pay particular attention to these last days of Jesus' life, and to to really uh, consider them as fully as possible. This incident that we've just read here before happened six days before the Passover, and that next Passover, of course, is the one on which Jesus would be crucified. So it's less than a week here before Jesus died. John tells us that Jesus is back in the village of Bethany. Uh, That's the village where, uh, a couple of miles from Jerusalem, where he'd recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And he's at a dinner that's been thrown in his honor. Lazarus is there and his two sisters are there too. So we're going to take a moment quickly to observe two different uh, responses to Jesus two reactions to him, that of Mary and of Judas, and then we're going to think briefly about why uh, people respond differently to Jesus like this. First of all, notice uh, Mary's response. She valued Jesus. If you know your Gospels, you'll know that the bit that we read here runs quite true to form. Everybody's in character, uh, particularly Mary and Martha. We've met them before in Luke chapter 10, uh, we, we read of them there. There was a time there when Jesus came to their house. Martha, you'll remember, busies herself in the kitchen. She's out there getting dinner ready while Mary sits with Jesus at his feet, uh, listening to his every word. Martha gets, gets grumpy, um, and you can, you can see it. 
I think you can probably imagine your way into that situation. She complains to Jesus, Don't you care that my sister's left me all the work to do? Tell her to help me. It's something that uh, I can easily imagine our kids saying and can easily imagine me still thinking, even if I didn't uh, articulate it. If there's been any change in Mary and Martha since that early incident when they met with Jesus, it's not in the roles that they play because it's still the same. If you look here, Martha's still the one serving dinner and Mary's still the one giving her full attention to Jesus. The only change that I can see is that uh, Martha seems more content. There's no mention of her being cross about it this time. Maybe she's just learned uh, to cover it up. Who knows? Mary's not just listening to Jesus. She's involved in this very dramatic act. John tells us in verse 3 that she took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It's a beautiful picture for all that we don't understand about it. It gives us a real insight into how Mary thinks of Jesus. She really loves him and values him. Normally, when you anointed somebody, you anointed their head. Um, To go and work with somebody's feet is, I think, a humbling thing. And normally in in that culture, it was the household slave who washed people's feet. So Mary's not only washing Jesus' feet with expensive perfume, she's wiping them then with her hair. And it's hard to imagine a more extravagant expression of love. John tells us that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And we can't help but see beauty in in Mary's sacrifice. She values Jesus. And we read later on in verse 5 that this expression of devotion wasn't just symbolically beautiful. it It was very expensive and costly. Verse 5, we're told uh, about the amount of money, a year's wages. And it turns out that money is no object at all to Mary when it comes to expressing her love for Jesus. If you take these two incidents together, Luke chapter 10, John chapter 12, we see a picture of Mary. In Luke 10, if you remember, it was her time that she gave up. Undoubtedly, she was busy like everyone else is. Uh, undoubtedly she had things that she wanted to get on with, but she was happy to sacrifice her time to express her love for Jesus. So her time and today her money are are both available. I'm pretty sure I've said this before uh, here in Kirkpatrick Memorial, but I remember a professor in college saying, if you want to know what's important to a person, you only need two things. You need to look at their bank statement and their diary. And if you looked in, in, in Mary's online bank statement and checked her Google Calendar, you'd have found a woman whose time and money both express her devotion to Jesus Christ. Mary values Jesus. So it's clear in our passage that Mary values Jesus, and it's, it's equally clear that Judas uh, doesn't value Jesus at all. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor, he asked. It was worth a year's wages. Judas was the accountant in, in the band. Um, 
as a former accountant, I, I stand condemned with that comparison. He knew that he knew the numbers, and he had he was all over the numbers. He knew that a laborer earned one denarius per day, and that if you take out fifty Sabbaths out of a year, you're left with just round about three hundred, three hundred denarii earned by a laborer in a year. In today's money, one year's salary at minimum wage, twelve grand. £12,000. Mary, you've just spent 12 grand and you have nothing to show for it. Why didn't we give that money to the poor? Without John's comments in verse 6 about Judas, I think we would have had a lot of sympathy with the position that Judas has put forward here. When Jesus responds to Judas, he doesn't really choose to, to take John's line. He doesn't choose to address the evil motives of Judas's heart. He takes the comments at face value and he talks briefly about the poor. He says, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. There's been a lot of, a lot of writing about this verse, particularly in relation to our Christian commitment to, to social action, to relief uh, of those in poverty. I think Jesus' line here is pretty straightforward. Judas, there will be plenty of time to look after the poor. I've looked after the poor. That's been important to me. And I want you to look after the poor uh, whenever I'm gone. But what Mary's done here is beautiful. It's beautiful on its own terms. It's beautiful in a way that you clearly aren't seeing. It's obvious from John's comments that Judas is both selfish and that he's dishonest. And it's obvious from this incident and from the incident that will happen later in the week, if you can project your mind forward, Judas doesn't value Jesus Christ. He's only into efficiency When it comes to his time and his money, he's only interested in what they can do for him. He likes to see his time and his money working for him, to use the modern phrase. He's like the cynic described by Oscar Wilde, a man who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Judas doesn't value Jesus. We've observed Mary's extravagant love for Jesus and Judas's selfish, contrasting response. Mary values Jesus, Judas doesn't. How can two people respond so differently to Jesus before them? As I've been reflecting on Mary this week, I, I can't help but think that she's understood Jesus pretty well all along. In that famous passage in Luke 10, Where Jesus comes into her house, Mary is singled out as the one person who who just stops everything and goes to be with him and to sit at his feet. She wants to hear what Jesus has to say. She believes that he has the words of eternal life. And here today she goes to great costs and great lengths to demonstrate love for Jesus. You'd almost think the way she's acting here, that she owed him some sort of great debt of gratitude, wouldn't you? That's how it reads. There's a debate in the commentaries about whether this Mary 
is the same person who was the, the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet in a Pharisee's home in Luke chapter 7. It's a story that's like this one, but also different. Whether she's the same person or not, with a sense here that Mary understands herself and she understands Jesus. Maybe she's heard Jesus preach his message. His message of, of grace and of forgiveness and of kindness for sinning people. Maybe she's understood herself to, to need that grace and that mercy. And she's applied it to herself. She owes a huge debt of gratitude. No wonder she's full of extravagant love. In this passage, we can't help but wonder whether Mary's maybe the only person who's taken seriously what's going to happen in six days' time. Jesus, we're told throughout, kept trying to tell his disciples that he was going to die, that he was going to Jerusalem to die. Is that why Mary is here preparing Jesus with this precious perfume? Jesus gives us the the sense that that's what's going on. When Judas challenges her, she says about Mary, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Folks, Mary's got it right. She knows I'm going to die soon. Mary, I think, valued Jesus because she glimpsed something of his incredible grace towards sinful people. And because she appreciated the great lengths that he was going to go to to demonstrate his love for her. What's the difference in the end between a Mary and a Judas? It's people who understand the gospel. They're the ones who pour out their lives in extravagant expressions of love. It's when we begin to understand the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us that we begin to become casualties of the gospel. We become people who couldn't live any other way than extravagantly using our time and our money to bless other people in his name. Look at this. Look at this thing here, this gathering. 300 and more of us gather here every Sunday morning. Has it never dawned on you that that's a spectacular waste of time? What could 300 people get up to with an hour and a half of their time? It is a spectacular waste of time. Unless Jesus Christ is whom he said he was. Unless he's begun to to connect with us and to draw the deepest love of our hearts, unless meeting together to, to know him, to celebrate his presence, to build each other up in his name, is becoming our deepest joy, then it's not a waste of time. And it becomes a high point of our week and of our lives. Whenever Mary 
anointed Jesus in Bethany, John tells us that the house was filled with the fragrance. He's talking, of course, about the smell, but I think he's talking to about a, a sense of beauty that the people there would all have experienced. Everyone could see the beauty of what she'd done. Maybe it's a, a particular privilege that I have of being near the center of this community that I get to see so much of the beauty in, in your lives week by week. I'm thinking of the long hours that people give to teach our children and our young people. The sacrifice of time. I'm talking about the visits that I'm aware of that people make to, to the sick and the dying and those maybe isolated in their own homes. I'm talking about all the other ways in which you work to keep encouraging each other uh, to build each other up and to reach out to others. I'm talking about the, the money that, that's given sacrificially to facilitate ministry here and around the world. May we grow in our love for Jesus. May we grow in extravagance as we express that love more and more. And may Bally Hackamore and beyond be filled with the fragrance. Let's pray. Father God, we know that it's possible to respond to you in the two ways we've seen here in your word. It's possible to be selfish and guarded, to keep our hearts hard to you and to regard our involvement with you as only some, some drudgery or commitment. But Lord, it's also possible as our hearts are arrested by your beauty and your love, to respond in the way of Mary, with extravagant acts of kindness and love, with a life poured out in sacrifice before you. Lord, we pray that as we see you more and more, as your love wins us, Lord, that we will be willing, not only willing, but but desiring to pour out our time, our money, and everything else that we have to bless you and to see your glory in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.